about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at The Defenders, which was released in full on August the 18th, 2017, when, if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends, you could have watched the reboot of Wacky Races, the 1000th episode of Cops, or Sharknado 5 Global Swarming instead. I'm Gareth Hirons, and you'll be finding out what I thought of The Defenders shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give his feelings on The Defenders is writer, broadcaster, and TV's claggers expert, Tim Worthington. Tim, where can people find you? Well, most obviously at timworthington.org, where you can find all the other episodes of this, which I normally present, and plenty of other things besides, and on Twitter at, at outonblue6. They're the main places, and you can find me, pushing pretty much everything I do all the time on both of them. Okay, Tim, before we go any further, what happens in The Defenders? While they're out slapping muggers around, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist and Daredevil, who are all vigilantes, individually stumble across a plot by The Hand, who are a gang of immortal ninjas, to blow a massive crater under New York so that they can get their hands on some dragon bones. It will make them even more immortal, I think, and they very reluctantly join forces to stop them, which they mainly do by punching people and punching things really bloody hard. Lord of punching in this. We cannot overstate the amount of punching. But how much did you know about the Defenders before you saw the show? I think it's more of a question of how much didn't know about the Defenders, because probably a lot of people listening to this won't have had a clue who the Defenders were. They were always, from a very young age, my favourite Marvel team of absolutely all of them. And it's to do with the very concept of what the Defenders are, because I'm going to go into a sort of history lesson now basically you know you've got the avengers who are obviously all the actual superheroes the ones who live what jessica jones would call that costume thing as their lives you know they want to save the world they want to take on the big challenges they want to be heroes and you've got other teams like the fantastic four and the x-men who were very well defined very tightly knit much smaller numbers the problem is above and beyond that you've got a lot of marvel characters who have got nothing to do with either of those approaches you know, you've got all the well the vigilantes you've got the magic and mythology characters the sci-fi horror characters 
characters, even straightforward humans like some of the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And these are all characters who aren't interested in being heroes. They're all pursuing their own agendas. They've all got something, that, a goal they're working towards or a, you know something they need to atone for or whatever. They wouldn't be involved with people like the Avengers or like the Fantastic Four, really. And in, I think it was 1971, there's a concerted effort to do something about this and unite them all. And they came up with the idea of Defenders, which is described as a non-team, where all these non-aligned characters could go when one of them met a challenge that they couldn't stop by themselves and they needed to call on resources of others to help. And in the meantime, you know, they'd be off doing their own thing. There was quite a high turnover of Defenders over the years. There's some longer-standing ones you might come back to, but the original lineup was Doctor Strange, the Silver Surfer, the Submariner, and I think it's probably right to say Bruce Banner rather than the Hulk decided to form the Defenders. But they did, and they were the original mainstays. And other ones came in, characters like Valkyrie, who obviously is in the Thor films, Hellcat, who kind of appears in the TV series The Defenders, but they've not made a Hellcat yet. But then you get all these weird characters, like people like Gargoyle, where they were created as one-off characters in other strips, and they're quite popular, and they thought, well, the only place we can really put them is the Defenders. I mean, Gargoyle, for example, is... He's an old geezer from a frontier town, you know, like a proper Wild West old-timer who sold his soul to save his village and became the gargoyle. I can't remember what he originally showed up in. It was probably the Hulk thinking about it, but he later became a long-standing defender. All kinds of people, you know, like that, came in and out over the years. It's also where, when they ran up with storylines, like there was a time Angel from the X-Men was involved with the defenders for a long time because he'd become disillusioned with the X-Men's goals. So where'd you put a really popular character like that? You put him in the defenders. And you know, they got rogue members of the Fantastic Four over the years, people like that. And the threats they faced were really weird as well. I can point towards I've had the thing over the past couple of years that I've been trying to track down copies of all the... Because obviously I had the UK editions of Marvel Comics, but sometimes, as I mentioned earlier a couple of times, I would occasionally get hold of an actual American issue or something. And I've been trying to track down all of the American issues that I had as a kid and collect them all. The one it took me ages to find was the Defenders, where I just couldn't identify it. For years and years, all I could remember was they fought a kind of immortal highwayman who'd been studying them and he worked out how to stop them all in one go. Literally just imprisoned them all in ways that circumvented their powers. And the only other thing I remembered was it opened with a full-page frame of Gargoyle, like looking at an amulet, which was saying Isaac, Isaac, Isaac Christians, which is his real name. I just couldn't identify it. And I spent ages, and I had the bright idea of asking on Twitter, and within minutes, somebody said, yeah, it's not a regular issue. It's a crossover with Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. And that's why you couldn't find it. And then I found it, and I had it within the week. That was the last one that I needed. But that's how much I loved the Defenders, was that, basically, it was that devoted to tracking down that one issue that I couldn't even remember properly from when I was about maybe nine or ten. It sounds like quite a good mechanism for Marvel, in fact, because you can move in popular characters to this sort of uh, dishevelled team and people might follow those characters to the comic and then follow the other characters when they go on to their own universes. So I can see how that that's quite a good play for them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I probably wouldn't know as much about Doctor Strange as I do or about Nick Fury for that matter or Valkyrie well as well. But if I hadn't followed them into other regular comics when they dipped in and out with the Defenders because I like those characters so much. But... My very favourite characters, although one of them was a later addition to Marvel, all turn up in the TV series of Defenders. 
my favourite defenders by far, all by chance, ended up in this. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? Excellent. I do remember us discussing this when it was first announced that the series was coming out. You were very excited that it was getting made. I have to say, back then, I was really surprised by some of the casting and the characterizations here. Making Flash Gordon blind was a controversial move, and it's a it's a bold choice to have Kristen Ritter play Mandrake the Magician. <laughs> Holy Don't joking. bring Defenders of the Earth into this, please. It had to be done. It had to be done. So, moving on to the series, I think we might as well start at the beginning. I started watching the series, and it has to be said, I haven't seen the other Marvel series that lead into this. So I haven't seen Daredevil. I've seen some of Jessica Jones, but not a great deal. I haven't seen Iron Fist, and I haven't seen Luke Cage. Uh, those are your four, your four heroes. And this series then opens in quite a confusing fashion for me with two people having a very dimly lit sword fight in the sewers, which I thought was awfully put together. I think they were going for a really claustrophobic, chaotic feel. But it was so dark and confusing that I couldn't work out who was fighting who. And then two other people turn up. And then I'm completely confused. I've come to realise that one of them is a pencil-necked geek and stupid growly Batman-voiced Danny Rand, who runs the Rand Corporation. Anyway, him and his mate come along. So there you've got four people stumbling about in a pipe in the dark. I just lost the thread of it completely. The same sort of happened to me in the climactic fights at the end of episodes seven and eight. What did you think to the, the way that those fights are staged? Well, having seen you know all of the series first, and it's worth pointing out as well that one of the Netflix characters doesn't turn up in this, which is the Punisher, who was quite a long-standing defender, because whereas the Avengers couldn't say, hello, trained assassin that takes law into his own hands, can you come and help us fight Galactus? The sort of threats defenders faced, he was more prepared to join in fighting, and also, you know, they were all quite morally grey as well, like him. Now, the story reason for the Punisher not being in this is, in his last appearance on screen, Micro, his kind of remote sidekick, had given him some information that might finally lead him towards who killed his family. So obviously, he wasn't going to interrupt pursuing that because Daredevil reached out via Karen Page to say, can you help us? But the actual literal reason was a series of the Punisher was in production at the same time, so... <laughs> That's what happened there. But I actually really enjoyed the start because one thing it makes clear is that I think throughout it, they're very skillful balance of maintaining not just the feel, but the look of the individual shows. Because as you alluded to, Iron Fist has very kind of... The fight scenes are sort of post-Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's got a very sort of hazy, blurry look to it, which you have just alluded to in less than flattering terms. Jessica Jones, it's all very kind of washed out and blue, and her fights are more like bar fights, you know, it's smashing chairs over people's heads and so on, and it introduces her wasted in a bar, and she stumbles out and she sees her friend Trish, who is Hellcat but not Hellcat yet, being given a parking ticket, she just lifts Trish's car up and drags it towards a parking meter. Daredevil, the fights are absolutely bone crunching, they really are the brutal ones, some episodes of that I'm surprised they got away with putting on a platform that I know know they say there's age filters on netflix there isn't really is there some of the fight scenes of that they aren't as wild in the defenders but his world is very dark with flashes of bright primary colors and luke cage has got that beautiful look where everything is kind of that warm yellow and orange tint like it's a sunny day like it makes me think of the fire hydrant scene in spike lee's do the right thing it's really that kind of look and also the fight scenes in luke cage are what the production team described as smack foo 
which is basically kind of a, a black exploitation take on you know kung fu movies, which are two of my favourite movie genres blended together. And somehow they get those four looks sometimes in the same scene. I can't work out how they've done it, but certainly the fights I think are choreographed along those lines. The problem, like you say, is that when it seems it's just one or two characters. And it could be something straight out of their own shows. And I think that's a bit of drift in this. As much as I enjoy it, I think I'll be honest about that. There are some, I should add, some cracking fight scenes in this uh, series as well. Not least at the end of episode three, when everybody gets together. But we're kind of kind of jumping ahead there, I suppose. The next couple of episodes, really up to about episode four, I guess, start of episode four, is really just getting people together. In fact, there is an argument that the defenders haven't even formed by the end of the series. Everybody is really reluctant to get involved for various reasons except for iron fist who it seems like it's his it's more his fight than the rest of them yeah that's interesting i think he understands more the threat that the hand pose even though they have all fought the hand he's the one who actually sees them as more than just you know a, an organized crime gang he understands what's actually at stake because it's not just about the damage they'll wreak on new york it's the fact that they come from the same monastery where he gained the title of iron fist and he knows what danger is posed by them becoming more powerful i mean the thing with the hand being immortal which without giving too much away you do find this out in quite graphic terms in this but they're immortal to the extent that they can bring their life force back into existence but they can't really repair damage to their bodies which is why they're after these dragon bones because alexandra the leader who it's implied she might be around since Roman times, but she has developed cancer. So, you know, it will keep attacking her body if they brought her back. And later on, some of them end up in the state where <laughs> it would be very unfortunate if they were brought back. But he's aware that them loose in the world being that powerful, given that according to Stick, their devil's mentor, they caused Chernobyl. That is something that really has to be tackled. And he gradually persuades the others. But the problem you've got as well is all the supporting characters from all the other shows appear in this. And they all want to keep, in the inverted commas, their guy out of it. Even Colleen, who's Iron Fist's sword-swinging sidekick, says to him, this isn't their fight about the others. You've got Foggy, who's Matt Murdock, Daredevil's kind of confidant and best mate, refers to him as a real hero, unlike Mr. Bulletproof, Super Joan Jet, and I won't even pretend to understand what an Iron Fist is. <laughs> Jerry Hogarth, who's a lawyer who does actually interact with a few of them in their own series, but she really wants to pull Jessica out of it for her own sake. Now, there is all that going on. It's not just them that are reluctant. It's their whole world's reluctance to be drawn together. And yet, all the sporting characters later end up fighting quite effectively alongside each other. Absolutely. One of the things that I, I found about the series was I, I think you could have cut a couple of episodes out of this it does seem to, to slow to a glacial pace at some stages and i think what you've been talking about is why we don't just get the defenders we get all four separate series worth of universe attempting to melt which is like oil on water on more water on more oil so we get everyone's mates and sidekicks in and some of them feel quite surplus you mentioned foggy there he really only turns up a couple of times you could have taken everything that he does and given it to another character. That character would have been better fleshed out. 
Although it's difficult to deny that he gets one of the best lines of the entire series, which you've already said with the Super Joe Jet interjection. But yeah, I guess that's just an occupational hazard when you're trying to bring all of this together. Oh, absolutely. Malcolm, Jessica's neighbour, doesn't really do very much in this. I mean, there are some characters who drive it along. Cameron Page and Daredevil certainly does. Trish Walker, through relating the events on her talk radio show, really, really gives it a sense of cohesion. But there are other characters, like even some of the hand. Now, I have problems with the hand on screen anyway. They are a comics creation where you can tell a complex story very slowly and keep people hooked. You cannot do that on television. It doesn't work that way. And I think they work much better in the Defenders because there's a smaller time to play with and higher stakes. But in the individual series, they do drag things down a bit. And I think some of them are very surplus of requirements here. They should just be in not quite crowd scenes, but you know what I mean, where it's all of them conferring. Some of them get their own bits, which are just boring. But Stick and Electra from Daredevil really do ramp things up when they appear. But possibly because they're writing their own checks, those two. They're doing things entirely on their own terms. Neither of them are in any way moral at all. And I think they're a much better fit for the Defenders than a handful of friends and well-wishers, really. Also, Misty Knight, who is a detective who, again, appears in a few of the series, but she's probably most associated with Luke Cage. She really is kind of the police side of it. Really brings... I mean, she's a great character anyway, but she's the unacknowledged fifth Defender, I would say. Although maybe that's Claire Temple, Night Nurse, who stitches them all up when they get injured. Again, in all individual shows, she is the one that brings them together, actually. She's the one that seems to, along with Danny, see that there is a threat. Okay, maybe the six defenders, really. I don't know. And Punisher, somewhere <laughs> off doing his own thing. You know, so it's seven defenders. Can any advance on seven? Jessica Jones, stop talking. Who the hell are you? My name is Matthew Murdoch. I'm your attorney. You four. The devil of hell's kitchen. The smart-ass detective. We got a problem? The righteous ex-con. My bad. And the kid with a glowing fist. The war for New York is here. So get your shit together. We make quite a team. No. What are you talking about? Bulletproof. Blind ninja. Whatever it is you are. Classy. <laughs> so circling back around to Electra there. Electra was, as far as I understand, killed off at the end of the Daredevil series. And she's back at the end of episode one of this spoilers i suppose which doesn't seem like a great deal of suspense building but i think it is necessary because daredevil needs a very strong motivation to get involved because he's he's pretty much decided he's not going to get involved in this kind of thing and that's probably the best way that you could get him onto the team with less explanation oh absolutely the kind of relationship between daredevil and electra has always been a bit fight club really and there's the initial complication of as well as being motivated by wanting to stop her he lets people into about this he's motivated by her pants 
They have an on-off sexual relationship that does influence their interactions, sometimes leads him down a dark path, and Stick is pretty off the leash as well. Having both of them throwing chaos into proceedings, I think really works here. And like you say, it does drag Matt into proceedings a bit more. Suddenly there's something for him to to play for, really. The other main antagonist that we get is uh, Sigourney Weaver, which was a very pleasant surprise for me, as Alexandra, who is the thumb of the hand shall we say <laughs> the leader of the group and there's there's various they get a lot of talking time as well just to sort of set up the antagonism between the various fingers of the hand how one of them was wound up as clear leader you kind of get from weaver's performance she has a an understated authority to her in fact i was very very pleased with her performance in general my attention just peaked every time she was on screen that character could have just been a steely zero depth enemy that you could swap out for anyone else and not see any difference and she gives it a depth the character feels like a real person albeit one who may or may not have been alive since roman times and is responsible for the chernobyl disaster you know to bring a humanity to that character i think is quite a challenge but i i think she rises to it i think she's absolutely brilliant as well i mean when you consider that two of the others have been big bads in other series particularly Bakuto, who turned out to be behind a lot of the things in the first series of Iron Fist, and also Madame Gao, who seemed really sinister in Daredevil, like she was really in charge of everything. She's an interesting character in that she appears to have respect for the Defenders, because even though she doesn't know their names, she refers to them in ways that emphasise their qualities, like the girl that refuses to quit, I think is how she describes Jessica, and she is, in a villainous way, complimentary about them. But suddenly, when Alessandra's about, she is second fiddle and she knows it. Like you say, Sigourney Weaver's performance, she is brilliant. She brings such a depth and empathy to her that I would never say that it makes you be on the hand's side. But you kind of feel that she's not doing it just to be evil. That, you know, yeah, that I... being alive that long must do something to your head and to make you think, well, I should carry on. Everyone else is transient. There are many parallels between this and Avengers Infinity War Endgame. It's kind of the Infinity War Endgame in the TV shows. Obviously, well, we got Agent Carter in Infinity War and Endgame, and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. obviously were on another network, so they went in this, and they were also lost in the future when everything was happening. That's another story, but even though this was... I think they were probably more or less in production around the same time, certainly Infinity War and this, but there are a number of things that parallel it, and... There is a sense in which Alexandra in particular has some qualities in common with Thanos, who, for all his dastardly plans to wipe out half of existence across the universe, has his own moral code and an ability to respect people. And I think that's there with her as well. There's also predicting the bit in Endgame where initially just Captain America is standing alone, injured against, you know, these thousands of aliens. Jessica basically, although we discover it's a trap set up by the defenders, she essentially goes to come up the hand on their own. And what's striking about that is it isn't heroic. It comes across as self-destructive. It's like somebody who's just, well, probably this is exactly what Jessica Jones has done, downed eight bottles of whiskey and listened to Nine Inch Nails for seven hours and then just thought, fuck it, if they're going to kill me, I'm just going to go in there and get it over with. It's quite a powerful image, and the fact that they chose the female character to do that, rather than the more obvious choice would be Daredevil, I think is quite significant, really. Absolutely, and while we're uh, complimenting actors, I've, I've got to give total kudos to the 
aforementioned Kristen Ritter. That actress is fantastic in everything yeah. I see her in. She nearly single-handedly elevated Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23 from what could have been a cliched New York comedy to what for me was must-watch TV. And she brings a beautifully nuanced performance to a character that's, that's full of vulnerabilities and yet in many ways invulnerable. Yeah, I, I think they're all fantastic. I think people are probably saying, what about Finn Jones, who plays Iron Fist, who isn't universally popular? I think in this, and when he appears in Series 2 of Luke Cage, when you know he's got to fill less screen time, he is much, much better, which is why I would like to see him turn up as a supporting character in one of the films. I mean, there are rumours at the moment that that's on the card. I think they all work really well. They really capture their characters in this, because obviously, you know, you've got Charlie Cox's Daredevil, Mike Colson's Luke Cage as well. And I think it's significant that when they were planning this, all of the showrunners, the individual shows did sort of collaborate on ideas and notes of what would your character do in this situation and so on. Apparently the main contribution that Shio Hidari Koka, who was the Luke Cage showrunner, made was he suggested to the cast that they shouldn't play it like they were a band more like they were like a hip-hop collective, like a Wu-Tang Clan or something, where it wasn't like the Beatles, you know, united by a shared sense of purpose. There were people with differing abilities. You know, this is exactly like a hip-hop collective. Differing abilities who'd been thrown together because they needed to work together on something who didn't necessarily like each other or run with the same gangs or whatever. I think they really nailed that between them. You do get a sense that they're four complete individuals who want to be off pursuing their own agendas, and they've got to deal with this first, because that's pretty much... At the end of it, apart from one of them, but I'm not spoiling what happens there, but they pretty much just go, yeah, nice one, see ya, and sort of walk off into New York. More or less what happens at the end. I definitely can't fault the acting, and, and in a lot of cases, the characterization. It feels like all the heroes are true to what you just described, essentially. They're together by circumstance rather than choice, and they're damn well going to let everybody know it. One thing I wasn't as keen on was Electra's characterization. She seems like a thing rather than a person, like a, a tool for the plot. And I'm not sure where that comes from, necessarily. I haven't seen enough of, well, I haven't seen any of Daredevil the series to know if it could be a problem with the acting. I would imagine it's just the way that the character is employed in this particular series. It really is, actually. I mean, if you have seen the series of Daredevil that she first appears in, you know, she is a properly insane but properly rounded character in that, whereas in this it's a bit more that she's being manipulated. I will concede they didn't really set that up properly for anyone who wasn't familiar with her. I'm going to suggest this might have been the most watched. You know, Netflix don't release viewing stats or anything like that, but I would hazard a guess this was the most watched of the Marvel Netflix shows. It's a catchy name, and it's loads of them all together. Probably people think, oh, that's a good in. Apparently it was in the top ten binge-watched for that year. I don't know how that was measured, but... I am assured that that was the case. I did exactly one piece of research on this, so citation needed. But the quote I have is that third party analysis indicated that the miniseries was the least viewed Marvel Netflix series and had the largest week over week drop in viewership of them all, though it was the third most binge raced series globally at the time of its release, according to Netflix. I assume binge racing is something the young people do these days. Centrist contradicts itself. What? <laughs> what is that even about? I'm sorry, I don't 
get it. But it is interesting that, like you say, Netflix just don't release those kind of figures. So the only thing you get is what other people can string together, which is never going to be the most accurate of measures. Well, I think it's quite sad in that case because I remember, like you know, like you say, I remember enthusing to you about it. I remember enthusing to anyone who would listen to me about it. And I do remember as well, there's footage on that. It's still online somewhere when they did the unveiling of the next phase of Marvel stuff at Comic-Con that year, that they had a trailer where they didn't use this in the show itself because the opening titles has their faces overlaid over districts in New York, presumably the ones that they roam, I'm guessing. They had a sequence at Comic-Con where it had the logos of all the shows and the letters flew out and made the word Defenders and the roar that you can hear in that auditorium because obviously it was full of people who actually knew who the Defenders were. I think it's sad that... I'm not going to say it hasn't lived up to people's expectations because I love this series. I love a bit of big dumb fun. Like you say, it does dip in the middle a little bit but what American series doesn't? It's the closest the MCU has come so far although that will probably change with the Shang-Chi film to reflecting, you know, kind of 70s exploitation, martial arts, etc. films. There's a lot of depth to it. I really, really like the fights. I like a lot of the humour. I would be upset if I thought people were thinking it had to be quietly forgotten about. I know there are people who are trying to say that the TV series are all a proper part of Marvel. Shut up. They always were. Even in this, there's links to the films in them. Hopefully they'll reuse these characters in some form. Maybe they'll even do a Defenders film because there were originally plans for further Defenders series which probably would have had the Punisher in. Maybe brought in some other characters. I mean, there was talk of doing Moon Knight on Netflix at one point. Obviously it's now a Moon Knight TV series coming up on Disney+. Plus. There's further they can go with the Defenders, especially if they bring it into the film world where they can bring in people like Valkyrie and Doctor Strange and have a a different take on it to this. But I, for all its, I suppose you could say flaws, I love this series. I wouldn't recommend it as the first thing to watch of a Marvel TV series to anyone for many of the reasons you've stated, but I can't see what the problem is with it. I really, really can't. Whereas I will happily put my hand up and say a series one of Iron Fist, there are problems with that. There's the boring episode of The Punisher. There's bits where Luke Cage goes off his axis a bit, but I love The Defenders and I can't put it any more simply than that, really. I think I've covered this the wrong way of not having watched any of the ones before. The way that you describe the way that it's filmed for the different characters. I absolutely see that now that you've described that. I hope this is remembered fondly as a television experiment and as a way of providing almost a a television Avengers. I think it gets a lot right. I really do. And whilst I I may not have much affection for some of the characters, (laughs) I I certainly do have affection for some of the others. Jessica Jones. So, you know, I would recommend people seek this out, but probably come to it the way that people intended. I just want to get into this one last thing as well. One of my favourite things about this is that it has an original score, which doesn't really... I mean, it copies the motifs, you know, of the main characters from their individual shows. It doesn't really reflect their soundtracks until they finally get, well, the upper hand with the hand, and suddenly Protect Your Neck by Wu-Tang Clan comes in, like it would do in Luke Cage. That's just such a good way of signposting they've won now. I really, really adore that that happens. Okay then, so I think there's just one thing left for me to ask now. Tim, if you've been brought back to life to serve as the ultimate killing machine for a shadowy organisation of puppet masters, what would you do? Well, you see, I think I would probably just pretend to be their puppet and I would maybe go on the drive to Durham. (laughs) Wouldn't we all, Tim? Wouldn't we all? So Tim, thanks for coming, or thanks for having me, and thank you. 
and Excelsior. It's so weird if somebody had to say that. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.